Is it good to have aspirations? We touched on this a while ago, and we said that yes, that it's good, that we need to have ambitions, to have aspirations. They are fuel, they are motivation for our daily works. Yet, as good as they are, they are often in need of purification. Aspirations are good, but are suspicious, so to say. For example, if I, tell, if I told you tonight, you know, I have a secret to share with you. I want to be the next Archbishop of Washington. I'm doing my best. And you can think maybe, you know, I sincerely think that I would be the, that I would be the best man for the office. And maybe you can think, well, good for you, maybe good for the church. Who knows? Maybe you are equipped to do that. But I'm sure you'll be a little bit suspicious as well. That is not about myself, my own honor or prestige or power or whatever. So what is simple to see in others is not as simple to see in us when it's about our own ambitions. But it's good to be uh, suspicious about them in any case. Ambitions are good, but not to be trusted so much. We all have ambitions, right? Some people have more ambitions than others. Some people are more the achievers type of thing, type of people but we're all moved by them. Some people want to be politicians, many in this city, I think. Others, business people, others, athletes or actors or military officers, lawyers, doctors, scientists, journalists, and so on. And they all, and we all somehow want to achieve success, money, recognition, and power to some degree, and those desires move us, they keep us going. James and John had high aspirations. We can see this in the way they approach the Lord and in the tone of their request. They say, teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. <laughs> what a question, right? They wanted whatever they were gonna ask. It's an ambitious request. And they, they disclose the real intention. Grant that in your glory, we may sit one at your right and the other at your left. As if they were saying, we want to be number one and number two. After you, us. And Jesus does not rebuke them, but he applies two filters to their ambitions, two very wise and important filters, I think. And the first one is the filter of sacrifice. He asked them, can you drink the cup that I drink or be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? As if he's saying to them, can you go through the same things that I'm going to go through? Are you willing to face the same difficulties? Are you willing to suffer and to sacrifice for this as I am willing to do? This is the first filter that Jesus applies to their ambitions. Are this ambition of yours strong enough to go through suffering? Because when our ambitions are a little superficial, a little short-term, too much centered around pleasure or well-being or having a good time, they don't even pass the first filter. Once sacrifice is needed, then our ambitions tend to 
tend to recess, only deeper and more human and more long-term ambitions endure sacrifice. If a young man says to me, I want to be a great scientist or a great doctor, for example, and I ask him, are you willing to sacrifice? Are you willing to, when your friends are playing soccer or whatever, are you willing to invest the time that you need to become a doctor? N not really. Then I would say, well, don't even try it. It's not worth it, right? It's a great ambition to want to be a doctor, but you need to, the filter of sacrifice, are you willing to do it with the sacrifice that it implies? When we really want something, we are willing to pay the price. And in the pursuit of our goals, we are willing to leave behind some things. And if you think about it, everything works like that. An athlete that wants to achieve high rank, that he needs to, you know, to go through sacrifice, to give up some things so he can achieve others. And whatever we want to do in life that is more deep needs to go through that filter. So he asks, are you willing to do this? And they say, yes, we, we can. We think we can do this. We are willing to sacrifice for this high aspiration that we have. But then he applies another filter, which is even more important, I think. And it's the filter of love. He says, OK, you can endure sacrifice, but are you willing to serve others with this ambition? Is this ambition for the sake of others or for the sake of yourself? Because when love is placed at the root of the ambition, it doesn't diminish the ambition, but it, it purifies it, so to say. And it makes it better, stronger, wiser, better for the heart. It makes it not so much about ourselves, because ambitions are, run the risk of being too much about ourselves, and it transforms them into something about others. It's a seed, the seed of love that is planted at the root, and it makes it a different plant. It flips our ambitions upside down, so to say, and transforms them into service. So this is the second filter that he applies to their ambitions. Jesus calls us, as well, to purify our ambitions by making sure that at the root of them we place service in love. He says, whoever wishes to be great among you will be your servant. So it's great that you want to be great, but become a servant. Whoever wishes to be first among you will be the slave of all. When you apply these two filters to your ambitions, the filter of sacrifice to make sure that they're strong enough, good enough, and then the filter of love, you are transformed into a Christian leader, someone who has purified ambitions and is ready to go into the world to become the salt of the earth and the light of the world. At our, at our chaplaincy in American University, we have this motto for our ministry, very simple, but I think it's powerful. It says, it goes, students for Christ, Christians for the world. So we're trying to draw as many students as much as, as, much as we can, many, as many as we can, to the Lord so that the Lord will touch their hearts, will apply all these filters to their ambitions. And they are ambitious kids. And then send them to the world, Christians to the world, where they have to you know, do their mission, so to say. We so much need Christian leaders 
in every single area of life. Christian leaders driven by holy ambitions for the gl greater glory of God and for the salvation of people. So if we think about it, what, what is a Christian leader made of? And it's a lot about strong ambitions with service, a lot about these two filters. And I will break it down in five points very quickly. The first one is service in love. A Christian leader has transformed self-centered ambition into service. Not watered down ambitions, but redirecting them into service. And to make sure that, we, that this is real, we should be able to respond pretty quickly to a simple question. Who am I serving with what I do? Who am I serving for the sake of what group of people? If I find a hard time answering to that question, maybe that filter is not there yet, or not, not, not enough. Second point is vocation rooted in vision. So a Christian leader has a call to respond with his or her life to a need. So it's not enough to want to be successful or powerful or rich. Those things are byproducts. If they come, they come. We shouldn't be so worried about them. Jesus says, it's very clear, just seek the kingdom of God and, and then everything will come. Everything that you need will be given you. What we really need is a vision of where and how am I called to serve with the talents I, I receive from God? Where and how in this particular moment of my life am I called to serve? What is the vision that God has for me that I can be faithful to? Someone said that vocation is where your talents meet the world's needs. I love that. It's where your talent meets the world's needs. That's the call from God for you, where you're called to serve. So service in love, vocations rooted in vision, they're very connected, as you can see. A third point would be teamwork. A Christian leader is called to inspire others. There are some that are called to be more isolated, I guess. But for the most part, we, we are called to work with others. Jesus surrounded himself with 12, and we achieve best when we are part of a community of people that are working together for a common goal. Because we need humility to go from me to us, from me to us, from my ambitions to our mission. And that is better achieved, that transition from me to us, if we are part of a team. The church in Washington is beginning today the process of the synod where the bishop wants to meet with many people so that we can have a better experience of, of being a community, of working together, of being together in the same mission of evangelization. So let's pray for that, for that by the way. The fourth point is strategic patience. Important goals are achieved with time. So a Christian leader needs to set long-term goals and to have the discipline to work toward them with patience, one step at a time, as a game plan. Wants to serve, but needs the determination to go little by little, and the patience to, to wait for the, the, the small and the humble beginnings to grow. Often success comes after much sweat, so to say, and that implies patience, right? 
So sacrifice and love are the two filters that make us Christian leaders. And finally, fruitful sacrifice. A Christian leader is able to give his or her life for those who, whom he serves. Jesus says, for the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So another simple question, this is a little more powerful, a little more intense, I guess. Who are you willing to give your life for? First one was, remember, who are you, willing, who are you serving? But this is a little more intense. Who are you willing to give your life for? This week I met a young man that donated, that this week went through surgery to donate one kidney to his brother who had both failing. So they both went to surgery together and at the beginning this young man thought that he was not going to be able to do this because the doctor said, you're not compatible. So he was really sad. He didn't feel any release on the contrary. He was really sad that he was not going to be able to do this. But then finally they said, you can do this, and he did it. And they're both doing well now. But it challenged me when I heard this. I thought to myself, who would I be willing to do this for? Right? But even in a less dramatic, dramatically way, every day of our life we are pouring our lives for others, right? We, our lives go away as we live. And the more you grow, the more you realize this. My life is going away. It's already almost half gone or more than half gone. So you ask yourself, where, where is my life invested? Who am I pouring myself into? And the answer is the people that you serve. Your family, your friends, your spouse, your children, your co-workers, your patients, your students, your community, your church, your country. As Christian leaders, we, are, we should be happy to pour our lives for the benefit of others, kind of like in a concentric circle type of way, to empty ourselves, to become a seed that falls into the ground and dies to become a fruitful plant. Jesus wants to form the 12 into the leaders that his church needs. He's working with them. He's working with John and with, and with James. He likes them. He likes their ambitions. He makes them part of the inner ring with Peter, Peter number one, and then they became second and third, so more or less. So he, he likes that ambition, but he's challenging them. Are you willing to sacrifice? Are you willing to become the last? Is this for your own sake or for the sake of the kingdom? And as he questions them, he questions us today. He wants to apply those two same filters to our ambitions so that we become the Christian leaders that we're called to be.